0: I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want to read verse 12, and then chapter 10, beginning at verse 23, from 1 Corinthians, these two different texts. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are if you have a King James, the real Bible, it says, Expedient, not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now turn over to the 10th chapter, begin verse 23. It starts out exactly like verse 12 and continues like this All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, expedient. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake, but if anyone should say to you, This is meat sacrificed to idols. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you, and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks, whether then... You eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. Is it right or wrong? Is it wrong to drink? Is it wrong to dance, as we pronounce it in Knox County? Is it wrong? It used to be, is it wrong to go to movies? Now, is it wrong to go to X-rated movies or R-rated movies? Just pass that on by. and Got another question on that one. Is it wrong to work on Sunday? Those questions are frequently asked. Amazing how often they're asked many times by young people as we try to discover the oughtness of life. One morning, John Killinger decided he'd sleep in. It was Saturday morning. He'd just kind of sleep in. He said he was deep in slumber about 8 o'clock, and his phone rang. This lady on the other end of the line said, Dr. Killinger, what do I believe? And he said, I beg you, excuse me? And she said, what do I believe? And he said, well, I'm not really sure that I understand the question. What are you asking? And she said, well, I'm a member of this bridge club. He said, there is a Jew in the club. There's a Mormon. And there's a Methodist. And they're always talking about what they believe. What do I believe? It's just another example of a good Baptist kind of hanging on to the coattail for somebody else. Why would anybody ask a question like that? Well, we want easy pat answers. Those are lazy questions. And I think it's really necessary or essential, as you do, that sometime we come to a conviction for ourselves about the oughtness of rightness or wrongness of anything, to discover the principles in Scripture by which every man should live. Now, I need to remind you that the Bible is not a rule book, and there are no easy, pat answers to a lot of the deep questions of life. Um, the Bible is not a rule book, it's really a guidebook. And in this text that I've read, it comes in the context of a terrible controversy that was raging in the first century church concerning eat, eating meat for idols. Now that's totally irrelevant to me. I can't remember when the last time I went down and got a burger and wondered if this meat had been offered to idols. I have wondered a few other things about what will happen if I eat <laughs> That's another problem, but um, I mean that's totally irrelevant to me. But it was a big conflict, a big controversy in the first century church. And out of that controversy emerged some basic principles that are irrevocable and eternal and by which every person ought to judge his life and by which every person ought to live his life. Um, the Apostle Paul said, All things are lawful for me. And that has always given me some uh, you know, grief about what that means. I think it means... The Apostle Paul is saying that my salvation is not dependent upon keeping rules and regulations. My salvation does not depend on what I don't do. There's a certain liberty and freedom that that is mine as a Christian. But that freedom and that liberty does not mean license. It doesn't mean that I'm free to do as I please, it rather means I'm free not to do as I please. And there are certain limitations by which I have to live my life as a Christian. There is a certain oughtness about everything. And I believe that the Bible describes those basic principles by which we can live our life. And really there are five tests that we can apply before we engage in any activity or embrace any philosophy there are five questions i should ask myself that just emerge out of this controversy that existed in the first century and by these questions and with these tests i can determine is this really right or wrong for me the first question is is it expedient is the test of expediency now it's interesting that that word is a word that refer, refers to to a foot travel, you know, taking an expedition, and the implication is that this life of ours. In fact, the Bible is replete with evidence that this this life of ours is really just a pilgrimage. We're just making our way through it, and we don't. We're not here permanently. We're strangers here. This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. It's an old song we used to sing, it has a great deal of theology to it. I mean, somebody said that this life of ours is like a bridge. Everybody must pass over it, but nobody should ever build a house on it. We're just passing through here, and this is a temporary existence. We're pilgrims on a pilgrimage. Now, if... I do this thing that confronts me, if I engage in this activity, or I embrace this philosophy, will it help or hinder my journey? Now, I've tried to make it clear to everybody, but there's some visitors here this morning, and I get up real early and go go jogging. I like to let everybody know that. I mean, do you know any joggers that don't brag about it? (laughs) And last January, I decided that I would, um, you know... uh, Instead of jogging in the morning, I'd, I'd walk, you know, same distance, just take me longer. And I decided I'd get me some of these dumbbells, you know, and carry them in my arm because I knew my legs were getting exercised, but I didn't know, I, I, but I was going to try to exercise my upper body. So I went down to Todd's uh, weight room and I got me some of these dumbbells. I didn't think it would it'd hurt. Wrong. I got about halfway around. And I'm thinking, I didn't know that carrying these things in my hand would affect my legs. A guy told me, one, a guy asked me one day, he said, how far do you run? I said, well, about five miles. He said, well, my brother runs about 10 miles every day. I mean, he wasn't impressed with that at all. I said, how much does your brother weigh? He said, about 160 pounds. I said, well, you tell your brother to 60-pound weight around his waist like I and see how far he runs. You know? <laughs> see if that'll hinder him any. Now, you get a 100-pound barbell and you put it on your shoulders and you try to see if, see if that will affect the way you travel, see if that will affect the way you walk. Now, that 100-pound hundred hundred pound barbell, there's nothing wrong with that. It just hinders your race. It just affects the way you walk. Now, is this thing right or wrong for me? Well, does it make it easier for me to walk with God or more difficult? Does it make it easier for me to walk in the Spirit or more difficult? Does it make it easier for me to walk in holiness or more difficult? Let me tell you something. There are some things that are perfectly right for some people, but not for you. And the reason why is because they make it harder for you to pray. There are some things that don't make it easier for you to control your thoughts. They make it harder for you to control your thoughts. There are some things that don't make it easier for you to love other people. They make it more difficult for you to love other people. And those are the things for you that are wrong. And you say, well, I'm not real sure. I'm just not really sure if this is going to hinder my walk, my, my race, my pilgrimage through life or not. Well, if you have any doubt about it, then don't do it. Let me give you a basic principle to follow. If you can't do this without doubting, you better leave it alone. Now, since we're in the neighborhood of Romans, I want to stop by here for a visit. So would you turn back to Romans chapter 14? I want to show you some. 14th chapter of Romans. Now, I want us to eat verse 20. Eat. <laughs> <laughs> you, want, you want to hear any sermons on gluttony For me, I'll tell you. I want us to turn verse 23 and read that. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, I don't know how much, how how often I've struggled with that verse as to what it means. I think it means this. Watch this. If you have some doubt about whether this is right or wrong, and you do it, you sin. If you can't do that from the faith that it's all right and there is doubt, then leave it alone. I'm going to give you an illustration, an exaggerated illustration. Suppose there is a person who believes it's wrong to watch the 10 o'clock news. I just don't think that's right for somebody to sit down and watch the 10 o'clock news. His next-door neighbor has no problem with that. I mean, he has absolutely... No problem with sitting down watching 10 o'clock news. He can do it with absolute faith and confidence. It, he sits down and watches it. But the person who has a doubt about watching 10 o'clock news, that's the person who needs to avoid it. All right, the expediency test. Second test. Will it enslave me? I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter um, 10. 1 Corinthians, make that chapter 6. It says, But I will not be mastered by anything. Will this enslave me? Now, the gospel of redemption is a gospel of freedom. In fact, that's what the word redemption means. It means to be released by payment. And so when I became a Christian, when I accepted Christ and embraced Christ as my Savior... I was liberated, I was freed, I no longer live in slavery. And most of my life, as a result of that, most of my life, however, has been lived, mastered by the flesh, what I want, my desires, my desires. Now the question Paul says is that because you have been set free, not to do as you please, but to serve the Lord. If, this, if you do this, if you embrace this philosophy, if you engage in this activity, will it enslave you? Will it nullify the freedom you have in Christ? Will it become your slave? Will it be your master? Will you have to say, I can't get along without this. I've got to have this, whatever it is. Now, we're not talking about, you know, drug addiction or alcohol addiction. That's easy. There are some people enslaved by television. I preached a revival out in West Texas. True story, a little country church. Those guys would quit farming. I mean, it could be they were just plowing away at a certain time when a certain soap came on. They quit and came to the house. And what's that soap? Could live without it. There's some people this morning who are enslaved by television. Some are enslaved by a relationship. And that relationship is more important to you than anything in the world. You can't live without that person. It might even be a child. You ever thought of that? There are some who are enslaved by money, by the accumulation of assets. They don't have money. Money has them. And what Paul is saying is this, that once I receive Christ and I commit myself To Him, I must commit myself to nothing else, to no other person. You can only have one master. And once I put myself under the authority of God, under the authority of Christ, there must be no other authority in my life. I will not be enslaved. Does it enslave you? Enslavement test. I mean, if I engage in this, this activity, will it one day be something I can't let go All right, third test. It's the test of edification. Now chapter 10, verse 23. The test of edification. Will it edify? Now that word edification means to build up, and 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 it means it's very much like the first test, the test of the, the trip, the foot travel, except that this is not so much the taking of a trip as the building of a house And the question is this, will this make me a better Christian? And will it stimulate my growth as a Christian? And the interesting thing about this word edify, whenever you see it in the New Testament, almost without exception, it relates to the edification of another person. So that what he's talking about is not just... Will this build me up or will it tear me down as a person? But how will it affect the people around me? Will it build them up or will it tear them down? And all of a sudden I'm confronted with this problem. I've got to realize that if I engage in this activity, it might hinder or hurt somebody else. few weeks ago, um, Al Unser Jr. won the Indianapolis 500. You may have watched that race. And that guy had this little car, this little um, racing car made out of fiberglass. And he went around for 500 miles. He went around this oval track in Indianapolis. ...main street of Durant, Oklahoma on Friday afternoon when all the farmers come to town, 200 miles an hour. He's not going to do it. Because in the first place, that car is not designed for the Ma- main street of Mon- uh, uh, Durand or Monday either. And that racing car, is, and that that is of 200 miles an hour, are not designed to be, you know, run on Main Street, Durant. There's another place for them. In other words, what he does in his car, he has to do as it relates to where he is. Let me ask you something. If they knew what you were, would it, what would they think? And if people saw you do this... And they watched you engage in this. And they heard your attitude concerning this. Your neighbor, your brother, your church member, would it make them a better Christian or a weaker one? This is what Paul said. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food, All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. How's it going to affect him? What a question. And Alexander McLaren in his marvelous exposition of this puts it like this. We're all bound together by a mystical chain of solidarity. Since every man is my neighbor, I'm bound to think of him and not only of myself in deciding what I may do or refrain from doing. I must abstain from lawful things. Listen to this. If by doing them, I should be likely to harm my neighbor's building up of a strong character. I can or I believe that I can pursue some course of conduct, engage in some enterprise, follow some line of of life without damage to myself, either in regard to worldly position or or in regard to my religious life. Be it so. But I have to take someone else into account. Will my example call out imitation in others? To whom it may be harmful or fatal to do as I can do with real or supposed impunity? If so, I am guilty of something very like murder if I do not abstain. Wow! This is a matter of life and death. Let me go back to that exaggerated illustration. Suppose this man... Had a real conviction, he had a conscience about watching 10 o'clock news on television. And he knew me and he had respect for me, and he saw me sit down and watch 10 o'clock news television. And he did it too, not because he wanted to, but because he saw me do it. You understand what I'm saying? How is it going to affect my neighbor? And so Carlisle Marnie. Tells about the woman who was sitting with a man, not her husband, somebody else's husband, at a at a table at a disco, and they were drinking, and there was another group of pe- there was a group of people with them, and they were all partying. They did it almost every week, and all of a sudden, somebody came up to the table and handed her a note. She got up and left. In a minute, she came back dressed in a waitress uniform. They thought it was a joke. They thought it was a costume. They all started to laugh until she said, I just got a telegram. My mother's dying. I've got to leave and go to her. She thinks I'm a waitress. I wish to God I were. What do they think you are? And what's it do to them when they find out you're not? Now, we're talking about the word offend, and that word is a significant word. The word offend means to drag down or to cause to sin. It doesn't mean offend somebody's taste or judgment. Now, I may offend your taste by the way I comb my hair. That's your problem. I may may drive a fancy car, and that offends your taste or your judgment. That's your problem. I'm not talking about offending somebody's taste or judgment. I'm talking about that which I engage in or that which I embrace that causes somebody else to sin. Jesus said it'd be better for him if they put a rock around his neck and threw him in the water. All right, number four. Got time? I may offend you by going a little long, but that is my problem. I... <laughs> The test the test of evangelism. Will it hinder my witness? I want you to look at verse 33 of chapter ten. He said, Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Can I bear witness to the gospel and do this? That's the question. Can I win the lost and do this? That's the question. You know it sure is hard to talk about the purity of God after you've told a dirty joke. One of my best friends, and he's a Christian man. He was one of the finest men, but he just had a habit of making an obscene gesture when he'd go into a coffee shop. He just, it was just like fun for him. And I went out one day and I was going to witness to this guy, and he said, Gerald, he said, you know, he said, I know this sounds like an excuse. But he said, you know, and he called this guy's name. He said, every time he comes into the coffee shop, he gives everybody this obscene gesture. You know what I'm talking about. And he said, I just I can't under I just can't put it together. You know, it sure is hard to talk about the love of God when you've just gossiped. You ever notice that? It sure is hard to talk about the peace of God when you've been worrying about money and all that. And young people. It sure is hard after you've made out in a car parked beside the road to straighten up your clothes at the door on Saturday night and invite your friend to church. It's kind of hard to do that. Dr. Chaffin was my evangelism professor at the at seminary. And he told about while he was t- teaching at the seminary, he went to the, this church there, attended this church, and he took his clothes to a laundry that start. He, he, he had a certain way he wanted them starched and pressed, and these people, you know, they they knew exactly what he needed. And and one day he said they changed owners, so he went down and he gave the instructions to the new owners about how he wanted his shirts. Now he said I'm really particular about my shirts. I want them this way, etc. Took in and took in a sample, and he said one night on wednesday night he, he was getting ready to go visiting from his this church that he attended and he said they were all getting cards and oh, oh, oh wait when he got his shirts back little bitty part here kind of need to know they weren't exactly like he wanted them so he got on the phone and he let the people know right away that those shirts were not exactly like he wore them. I mean, he just gave them a dressing down and told them all about. You know, I, I can't believe you people that kind of stuff. You know how it goes. Wednesday night came. They were getting cards to go visit him. Boom. Guess you guessed it. The card they handed him was the man and the woman who ran that laundry. Sure was hard. We him to go visiting. One last thought. It's the test of exaltation. Now, I want you to take this little New Testament. And I want you to turn to verse 31 and read it. I'm going to read it and I'll let you say it back to me because not everybody has an NASB. Now, listen to what it says. You say it back to me. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Say it with me. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That, my friend, is the main business of living. Will this glorify the Lord? Will this exalt Him? Can I engage in this activity? And when I'm through, God will be recognized and exalted and glorified. And when I get through spirit, pewing off, spouting out this philosophy that I've embraced for myself. Will somebody shout amen that glorifies God? And if I maintain this attitude toward another, can somebody listen to me and say, man, that attitude glorifies the Father and makes Him known? For the real test Is Does this glorify God? Does it praise Him? Does it exalt Him? Does it help people to see that's what God is like? That's that's the question. And if it doesn't, I have no business there. And J.B. Priestley, the great British playwright, came to America... And he was taking on a grand tour of America and the place that most impressed him, guess what it was? It wasn't the big peanut, by the way. The place that most impressed him in his sightseeing in America was the Grand Canyon. And he stood for hours in frawl, mesmerized by the Grand Canyon. You've seen it? And this is what he said, quote, If I were an American, I should make my remembrance of it, the Grand Canyon, the final test of men, art, and politics. I should ask myself, is this good enough to exist in the same country as this canyon? I love it. What Paul is saying is this. Is this thing that I want to do... Is it good enough to exist in this church? Is it good enough to exist in this scripture? Is it good enough to exist in this faith I embrace and this testimony that I bear? Is it good enough to exist in this holy place where God is? If not, that's the test. Is it right or wrong? I don't even think the question is right. The question is, does it glorify God? Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that our decision today will be the right one. For I ask in Jesus' name. Now there are three imitations. I want to speak first to those who might be lost this morning. It is the right thing for you to do to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And if you walk away from Christ, you've you've made the wrong decision. And the right thing in life is to submit yourself to Jesus Christ and to His authority and His Lordship, Lord of all, Lord of all. And I want you to do that this morning if you've never been saved. Maybe you got saved in Bible school, and you just need to come and publicly declare that faith. Maybe there are some this morning who've made the wrong choices, and you, down deep inside you know you have, and you're making them. You want to repent of it. And you want to give those things to God and begin to live for Him in a way that will honor Him, glorify Him. We call that rededication of one's life. Or maybe you need to join this church. This is the right choice if God leads you to do it. It's a wrong church for you to be if God doesn't lead you here. But If you feel impressed of the Lord, this is where I want you to live your life, it would be wrong for you to disobey Him. So while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.